This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. We'll drill down on the impact of delaying thousands of elective surgeries after a new report says people are dying because of it. And CARP is demanding relief for seniors hit with high out-of-pocket expenses because of the pandemic. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Are you among many not getting a good night's sleep during the pandemic? Sleep experts are not surprised and blame our body's physiological response to stress and anxiety. They recommend trying to stick to consistent sleep schedules, making your bedroom as dark as possible, and limiting late-night screen time that interferes with melatonin productions. And here's another suggestion. Tune out pandemic coverage in the evening so you have a few hours to wind down before you turn in. Is it allergies or COVID-19? Anyone suffering from seasonal allergies could be left feeling a little nervous these days. Allergy experts say it's best to take precautions if seasonal symptoms start presenting, like those more common in COVID-19 cases such as fever, shortness of breath, or difficulty breathing, chills, muscle pain, and headache. Checking the weather forecast for pollen and mold counts could help in determining whether your symptoms are caused by outdoor allergens or something else. Have you turned to online shopping during the pandemic? With much of the world in various stages of lockdown, Amazon has become a lifeline to many shoppers, but it's also grappling with delivery delays that can take weeks or months instead of hours. And now there are mounting complaints from its workers around the world who worry about catching COVID-19 on the job. Amazon's websites in Canada and the U.S. are said to be up 65%, but buyer beware, Canada is among five of Amazon's international operations added for the first time to the U.S. list of notorious markets where pirated goods are sold. Michael J. Fox is releasing a memoir called No Time Like the Future. The 58-year-old actor and advocate will share personal stories about living with Parkinson's, aging, and the strength of family and friends. The Order of Canada recipient also shares how our outlook can affect the way we approach mortality. Fox was diagnosed with the disease when he was just 29 and has become a prominent advocate for better research, launching a foundation in 2000. No Time Like the Future is set for release in November. Hi, I'm Michelle Obama, and welcome to Mondays with Me. A new documentary about Michelle Obama will be released on May the 6th. Becoming is the same title as her best-selling memoir, 
where cameras followed her on a 34-city book tour. The film is an intimate look into the life of the 56-year-old as she transitioned from the White House into former First Lady. A self-confessed hugger, she says, the COVID-19 pandemic is a trying time for all. Talk about luck. It took 30 years of playing the same numbers, but a Colorado man has won the lottery twice in one day. Lottery officials say the man identified as Joe B won two $1 million Powerball jackpots on March 25th. The tickets were bought at two different stores, one in the morning and the other in the evening. I'm Libby Snymer and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A report from Ontario's Financial Accountability Office estimates 35 people have already died after their surgery was delayed because of COVID-19. More than 52,000 operations have been postponed since the lockdown, with another 12,000 put on hold each week. I talked to Dr. Shaf Kashavji, Surgeon-in-Chief at the University Health Network's Sprott Department of Surgery. A lot of the information that's been coming at us for about the pandemic is modeling and all models will be incorrect at, at the end of the day they're just a model and then we have to look at actual course of, of the pandemic and, and the the actual results but the importance of that report was if you look at people with that level of illness of cardiac disease and you follow them over time and you don't operate what would happen Yes, many of them are going to die. The numbers you gave of how many operations have been deferred is huge across the country. In the upswing of the pandemic, it was absolutely the right thing to do to create capacity for COVID and and what we didn't know was going to hit us. As things have started to level and we've done well with social distancing and everything, now time is going by and we have to say, we're going to have to start operating and delivering care to these people while COVID is still around. Your transplant surgeon, what has been deferred in uh, your specialty? You know, I do cancer surgery and transplant surgery, and, and all of it was cut to about 25 to 30%. So with transplants, we, we have continued to transplant only the most desperately ill recipients. Uh, while we uh, were going through the pandemic. And the problem with that is that organs went by without being used and we will never get those back. So we really need to get going again with transplant. In the early days of the pandemic, we just couldn't. It wasn't safe. It wasn't safe for the recipients. We couldn't sort out the safety of using the donors. And transporting our teams from hospital to hospital could have been vectors of COVID. So all those considerations, now we've put in safety checks as much as we can and, and can slowly start to offer transplant again to those patients that have been waiting for so long. Uh, let's move on to cancer surgery. Now, I know that according to the benchmarks, there are certain surgeries where people say, okay, you can that'll keep for three months or whatever. It may be marginally elective, but but it, it, you know it's it's not like even having a joint replacement or something. Yeah, no, and, and I think you may have heard others say that no cancer surgery is elective. Uh, but in in such a difficult situation, 
Uh, again, if, if there are some cancers that are so aggressive that you need to operate within 14 days. And those we've continued to do. Then there are other ones where the guideline and, and data has shown that 28 days is reasonable, and that's the target we usually meet at normal times. So now we're starting to look at those patients and say, we, we must address those next, which does mean that patients that have benign conditions or conditions related more to quality of life than to survival may end up waiting a little bit longer. And, and nobody's surgery is really elected. The decision to slow right down uh, was just a looming disaster coming our way and we knew what we had to do. But the decision to start up again is going to require a similar amount of courage to say we're going to have to operate and how can we operate while we still preserve some system capacity for COVID. So our plan will be that, that we can ramp up surgery knowing that we can stop again if we have to. Uh, if there's a second surge or anything like that, we can stop, but we can't delay surgery much longer. So we're working on a, a provincial uh, guide for hospitals uh, across the province to decide how to open up and how to manage it in a responsible way. I have to note, by the way, that our experience here, we have a colleague and she needed in a very urgent way a valve replacement, a heart valve replacement, and she actually did get it two weeks ago. Yeah, we no, were surprised. We exactly. I think it was really important to continue to do that. And, and we've kept a very close eye on our patients and kept in contact with them to, to make sure that they don't feel forgotten and, and are not forgotten. We've put in data systems of every single patient whose surgery date is deferred. We, we have that list and are working through plans to what are we going to do over the summer and fall to try and catch up. What kind of a backlog is this going to create? Well, at UHN, we do 25,000 operations a year, and we cut down to the rate of, of about 20 to 25 percent, and now around 30 percent is where we're running. So every day more are, are, are building up. So what we're going to try and do is put through cases that don't need a hospital bed, the day surgery cases, just to create some of that backlog as well as some of the other ones you alluded to, the, the more urgent cancers that and, and hopefully address some of that and also the anxiety for the patients that goes with waiting. Do you have a timeline? Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the issues is there's definitely the will to resume, but then one, the aftershocks of the pandemic, like if we have an outbreak here or we have the issue in the long-term care centers, then everybody kind of backs off again and says maybe we shouldn't move forward and let's just wait a bit. But with the surgical patients, it's getting to the point where we can't just keep stopping the train every time. So it's really how do we we maintain COVID preparedness, but still look after the non-COVID patients. In order for surgery to move forward, we need three things. We're going to need PPE and a safe supply of it because we cannot do this work without safely protecting the patients and our staff. We're going to need testing of patients coming to surgery so that we know how to handle them and again keep the patients and other patients and staff safe. And we're going to need resources. It's a different amount of resources to, to do the catch-up. 
if we can open some ORs gradually over May and June, probably by September, October, we can get back into the guidelines for the time-sensitive surgery. Dr. Shaf Kashavji, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome. That was Dr. Shaf Kashavji, Surgeon-in-Chief at the University Health Network's Sprott Department of Surgery. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. It seems that every day the government announces new help for people whose livelihoods are threatened during the pandemic. Many Zoomers feel their needs are being ignored, and CARP is working hard with governments to advocate on their behalf. I talked to Chief Policy Officer Marissa Lennox. We've heard from so many of our members who say that they feel like their needs have been largely ignored right now. You know, this is a time when they, too, have had to make pretty significant cutbacks, sacrifices, even trade-off, you know, everyday necessities. We've heard some really just sad stories. And so there's no doubt that many seniors have been hit hard with very high out-of-pocket expenses. Even things like delivery on groceries. Remember, a lot of seniors can't get out of the house anymore, so they depend on delivery services. Those things have costs. And costs in increasing dispensing fees, for example, on prescription medications, uh, that's something that most provinces and territories have done. On top of all of this, Libby, stock markets have taken a plunge, and many seniors have seen their retirement savings tank. So, you know, we urged the government to do a number of things. The first is to re-examine RIF rules and in particular to eliminate RIF withdrawals this year. A RIF withdrawal is when you become 72, your RSP becomes a RIF, which is a fund, and there are rules that you have to withdraw a certain amount every year, whether you need it or not. And of course, when you withdraw that money, it's taxed. Now, the government already reduced the amount that you would have to withdraw this year. You're exactly right. The problem with mandatory RIF withdrawals is that when a Canadian turns 71, about a year later, they when they turn 71, they have to convert their RSP to a RIF. And within a year, they need to start making mandatory withdrawals at a set rate. The issue is these rules really don't reflect increasing life expectancies, time spent in retirement. Many people are working longer than ever before, and they don't want to withdraw on their retirement savings. Um, And so when individuals are forced to draw down on their savings, they risk outliving their funds. And when we've surveyed our members, a majority say they're concerned about outliving their savings in retirement. Now, couple that with COVID-19 and the fact that many seniors have seen their retirement portfolios drop somewhere in the range of 25 to 30% on average, many don't want to be withdrawing. And you're absolutely right. The federal government reduced the minimum RIF withdrawal requirement for 2020 by 25% to reflect that market decline. But the policy was not applied retroactively for those that withdrew the maximum amount before the policy was implemented because you just have to withdraw it at any point in the year. So many of our members withdrew the maximum amount in January or February before this policy came into place. So now they'd like to benefit from that. That's number one. And then, again, many, if not all, would like to leave their risks untouched at a time when, obviously, the market is so unpredictable and many are predicting an extended period of declines. And you mentioned the increased uh, dispensing payments for drugs. So uh, 
most jurisdictions have said you can only get a 30-day refill of your medication, not more than that, because otherwise that risks drug shortages. But it means people have to pay the dispensing fee every month. That's right. In Ontario, for example, it's basically it's the co-payment. Every time you go into the drugstore, you pay a, a, a fee when you pick up your drug. And previously, people were allowed to take 90 days worth of their, of their prescription a 90-day supply of their prescription and would only need to pay that co-payment once. Now, with the government concerned about supply chain issues and hoarding, they've basically told people that they can only take a 30 days worth of supply. And there's two challenges. One, it triples the fees that people are paying on their prescription medications. Remember, when it comes to prescription medications, CART members are super users. On average, a majority of our members take at least for medications with some taking more than 10. So those costs add up and they add up quickly. The other issue, of course, is the fact that people are being asked to make more trips to the pharmacy at a time when we're being told to stay home. Now, a number of pharmacies have stepped up and offered free delivery, but not all pharmacies and not everyone knows even to take advantage of those programs. So again, we've urged the government, provincial governments, to cover the additional cost of the co-payments for seniors because we have heard some really heartbreaking stories of people that have had to make very difficult decisions about whether or not to heat their home or to put food on their table and actually pay for prescription medications. We know that cost is a barrier when it comes to drugs, and over 15% of our members have admitted to skipping prescriptions because of cost. Any indication of when we will see if your asks are being answered? We were told, I was told, that uh, we can expect an announcement in a week or two hopefully sooner, and that CARP would be the first organization they reached out to. Okay, well, that's good news. Marissa Lennox, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Libby. That was Marissa Lennox, CARP's Chief Policy Officer. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today, and be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.